0: Well, um, we are in the midst of a series called Giants Will Fall, and this has been uh, just, I I think it's been an amazing series for us as a church as we look at the big things of life, right? The the big obstacles, the things that feel Goliath, and the very first week that we um, did the series, we, we talked about the true hero, We looked at the story of David and Goliath, and if you remember, we we talked about Jesus being really the true and better David. When when we read that story of David and Goliath, we put ourselves in David's shoes thinking, I'm the hero, right? I'm gonna slay the giant, and yet we know that really, Jesus is the one who brought all victory for us, that he's the one that slayed the giants of sin, and death, and brokenness, and darkness, so that we might live in his victory. The second week, we looked at temptation. And the third week, we looked at the giant of fear, worry, and anxiety. And then last week, we talked about addiction. And this week, we're going to be talking about overwhelming adversity. Overwhelming adversity. Those times, those seasons in our lives where we face things that are extremely difficult. It can be circumstances that are outside of our control. right? It can be a season where... Uh, I mean, something happens, something comes upon your life, and it feels overwhelming. And so we're going to be talking about overwhelming adversity, and we're going to be, as I said, in Romans 8. Before we read that, um, you know, if you've embraced a theology that doesn't allow for there to be adversity or suffering then you're going to misinterpret some key moments in your life and you're going to have to explain away or dismiss vast portions of the Bible. There's this idea floating around that God will only allow there to be blessing and only prosperity and only health and the thing is that's just not true. We live in this overlapping of the kingdom of God being at hand right now. It's what Jesus taught. He said it. Hey, repent, believe the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he demonstrated by healing the sick and setting the oppressed free. People that were in darkness and in bondage came into the light and came into freedom, right? Jesus inaugurated that and that is still going on today. Right? We're seeing the Lord do miraculous things, I mean, amazing stuff. Even in our own body of believers, God is doing the miraculous among us. And yet, we're in this other part of the story where the kingdom of God has not yet fully come. Revelation 22, Jesus says, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. Meaning that he will return and that kingdom will fully come. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sadness, no more suffering. It will all be well. And we're in that overlapping place where believers in Christ that love Jesus with all their hearts and follow him are in the midst of struggle and adversity in suffering, I had the opportunity this week to watch a documentary called Love Costs Everything. If you haven't seen this before, it's really, really good. It was well done. It came out in 2011, and it's about the persecution that uh, Christians are suffering all around the world. And I just watched story after story, I mean heartbreaking stories of people who have suffered much, who've given their lives, or had family members killed, And they're out there proclaiming the gospel, loving Jesus, doing everything right. And so when you say to me, no, no, only only prosperity, right? only well-being, and I'm like, ah, no, 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 that's not how this seems to work. And so I wanna talk about Overwhelming adversity this morning. So let's read together from Romans 8. This is, again, I said this last week, Romans is, is not the easiest book in the world. It's got a lot of theology, a lot of depth, and so we're going to walk through this together. Verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now." Not only that, but we ourselves, who have, the fir- who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience verse 26 in the same way the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God he's talking about Jesus there who knows the mind of the spirit Verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined he also called, and those he called he also justified, and those he justified he also glorified. I'm gonna to skip to verse 35. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death All day long we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So, Paul's talking about suffering, right? He's mentioning, right? I don't think our present suffering is worth comparing. And he says, what will separate us? What? Adversity, persecution, famine. He's talking about the context of suffering and he's speaking to believers, right? We will experience adversity in our life. This might look like persecution. Like our brothers and sisters across the world that are suffering, right, they are suffering for Christ for their belief in him. We, we might be suffering persecution in the way that we do the right thing. Maybe at work, right, you, you do something that is in keeping with your, your, your morality, your, your ethics, your character, your integrity. And so you do something and it costs you. You don't get that sale or you don't get the credit or you don't make that extra bonus because you did something with integrity. It may cost you to follow Christ. It might be relational adversity, right? We, we have seasons in marriage where two people that love each other, that are committed to one another, and both love the Lord, and yet at the same time, there are moments where it just gets really, really hard. You're not connecting. You're not talking right. You're, you're, you're having conflict all the time, and it's just a season of adversity, marriage. It could be adversity with parenting. Any parents in the house today? Amen. We have seasons, right, where it's just hard. Kid, you know, finishes one phase, and just when you got a handle on that one phase, they change to the next phase. You're like, oh my god, I gotta figure out how to do this next thing, right? We're always learning as parents. It can be seasons of adversity. It could be financial, right? You might lose your job. You, you, you might have to be demoted in your company or you have disability that happens, right? And you can't do the thing that you used to do. It could be physical health, right? We, we struggle with illness and disease. It, it could be an accident, right? S- somebody decides to get drunk and get in a car and drive and then, then you have an accident. Now you're paying for that, right? You have physical adversity. It could be mental or emotional. I mean, as adults, there are times where, where we feel down. There, there might be a season where you go through depression or, or you just feel like I'm anxious all the time. A season of anxiety or uh, some other type of mental disorder, obsess- obsessive compulsive disorder. Right? There are different types of adversity that we have mentally and emotionally. And then there's grief. Right? We all know that when, when you lose a loved one or, or when you go through a difficult transition in life, there can just be a grieving process and it's just tough. It's hard. It's adversity. It's struggle. And, and here's the thing. It's really easy to identify where all this comes from. It's a three-letter word that, that we use and maybe people wish we didn't use so often, but it's the word sin. I mean, that's where all this comes from. If you were to go back into the the beginning of the book, go back to Genesis and you see God creating the heavens and the earth and all the things upon the earth and the people in his image and every time it's like, it was good, it was good, it was good and there's harmony and they're walking with God in the cool of the day and all the world was right until sin comes into the picture. And then the entire book of the Bible from that point on is marked by man's sinfulness, right? There's something in us that that just does the wrong thing, that goes the wrong way, that says the wrong thing at the wrong time, and all that kind of stuff that's our nature within us. And so when we look at why do we have suffering, well, it's all because of sin, the original sin, the curse on the earth, and then our sin, my sin, your sin, right? It creates suffering in our life. Or it could be the sins of another person, right? That drunk driver that decides to get in that car and drive and hits your family member. You are paying the consequence of their sin. All of it comes down to sin. And we have an adversary we have an enemy. There are two forces in the world. We know that all things are subject to the Father, that he is the sovereign one, and yet in this age, there is the ruler of the world. His name is Satan, and he is at work in the earth. It just is reality. He exists, and there is oppression and affliction and adversity that comes out of spiritual attack. And so we have this adversity that touches our life. right? We, we know where it comes from, and we know that we're not promised a life without it. I wish I could tell you, man, follow Jesus and everything will go well with you, right? Life will be a breeze, right? The reason why you have problems is because you're not walking with the Lord, but if you started doing that, then, man, everything would fall into place, the universe would align, the stars would align, the angels would sing, and you would just be like the happiest uh, a person that never ever had a problem again. And the reality is that that isn't the case. And if you've been told that, you were told wrong. Because we're not promised a life without adversity. But here's what I want to say to us this morning. And I'm going to spend some time in this verse unpacking it. I believe that you and I are uniquely equipped for adversity. God has uniquely equipped us for adversity, that we have a way to walk through it differently than those who do not know the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So starting back in verse 18, let's just take a minute and just walk through this passage together. This is what Paul writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. See, the first way that God has uniquely equipped us for adversity is a different perspective. You and I have a different perspective. If you're a person who follows Christ, who who seeks him, you have a different perspective. And what Paul says is this, it's, it's this adversity that you're facing right now is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to you. We're in that time of year right now uh, where we're, uh, you know, school is ending and summer's beginning. And many of us are making plans to travel, right? And if you've got kids and you've ever traveled before, you know that that's not always an easy thing. Like our kids, man, we, we have three boys. And so when we travel, my parents will sometimes fly us on a vacation, right? They pay for the flights and everything. It's awesome. But the, the week before we leave, we're like, oh, my gosh like all the laundry has to get done, like who's gonna feed the dog and the cat and the guinea pig, right? You're trying to figure out what to do with all the stuff in your life. You're, um, you're trying to get all of your clothes into a little bag that, that gets smaller every year and then it has to be under like 40 pounds now or something, right? So you get there and you don't wanna have that like, oh gosh, it's over. Here's $5 million, so you'll check my bag, right? So you, you're trying to get all your kid's stuff crammed into a bag. And, and then when you get to the airport with your kids, you're like, dear Jesus, help me. Because we've all been the families, if you have kids and you've flown and your kids are screaming and all the people that don't have kids are just looking at you like, what is wrong with you people? They're all getting angry, right? You feel their eyes burning through the back of your head because your kid's screaming. And there's great pain involved with traveling. <laughs> but you picture yourself on that beach, right? You're like, oh man. I can just see us by the pool. I can see us on the beach. You, you, you know that, man, it's difficult to get there, but it's not worth comparing with the joy that we're going to have on that vacation. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, believer in Christ, when adversity comes your way, you're not hopeless. You're not filled with despair because those that don't follow Christ, this life is all they have. And if this life is hard, sorry, it's the only one you got. But to the believer in Christ, he's saying, look, no, 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 no. Glory is coming. It will be revealed to you, and this is not worth even comparing. You're going to get there You're gonna be with the Lord. You're gonna be there in heaven in glory and you're gonna say, I don't even remember what that was like. (laughs) I remember it being kinda hard, but man, it does not compare with this. So worth it. We have a different perspective. We also see this in verse 28 when Paul writes this. This is the classic verse when it comes to talking about adversity, right? This is what we quote to each other. We put it on our Facebook wall. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We have a way of seeing adversity and seeing suffering and saying, I don't know how, but somehow God's going to take all this stuff and use it for good. I can't remember who wrote this, but he said, life is only understood in reverse. It's only understood in reverse, meaning we're gonna look back on all the seasons, the, the difficult times, the struggles, and be like, oh, okay. I see what you were doing there. I, I see, right? And notice this when, when he says that he, he causes all things to work together. He doesn't say that God causes all the bad things to happen for your good it doesn't say that meaning this god is not evil he does not tempt with evil he does not cause evil he is perfectly good Evil, suffering, adversity is not from God's hand. He's not the angry, uh, maniacal tyrant like throwing down a little cancer over there and throwing down a little uh, depression over here. That's not how this works. He's, he does not cause all these evil things. He is good. It is his nature. He's a healer. He's a restorer. He's a redeemer. He's a rescuer. He's a helper. This is what the scripture says over and over again. He is not evil. He will allow evil He will allow suffering, it may come your way, but he, in his sovereignty, has a way of working it for good every single time. So he doesn't cause evil, but he can use it. He'll work through it. And so you and I, when we see these seasons in our life, we can look back and say, okay, I see this differently. I have a different perspective. The the, the second thing that I believe that Paul says to us here is that you and I are uniquely equipped for adversity because we have a secret source of joy. In verse 26, Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of of God. What he's saying is that within the life of a follower of Christ, there's something happening that is unseen. It's invisible. There's, there's a realm, a spiritual realm, where the Holy Spirit is indwelling a person. Right, He lives in you, and he is working in your heart. And, and there's things that he's bringing out and, and, and prayers that are being offered that you just don't even know how to put into words. But the Spirit of God is at work inside of you. You have a secret source. We um, we, we looked at um, John four whenever we were starting the church. The very first series we did was called the "I Am" series, and we looked at some "I Am" statements of Jesus, and we looked at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus um, sees the Samaritan woman, which he's breaking all kinds of cultural rules by talking to this woman, right? He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, he's a man, she's a woman. I mean, he is crossing some major boundaries to do this. And he asked her for a drink, and she's like, how do you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And he says, if you knew the one who asked you for a drink, right, you would ask him for a drink, and he would give you living waters. Later on in that conversation he says to her whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. You see the unashamed offer of Jesus is life. Like deep deep wells of life And that well doesn't stop flowing when adversity comes. The well doesn't run dry because I'm going through depression or because I'm going through persecution or because I'm going through whatever thing is happening in me right now. The well does not run dry. It is a secret source of joy that is unstoppable. It comes from the throne of God, the one who is full of life and unceasing. He is full of life and offers life to us. I I hear these stories every now and then. Maybe you've heard a story like this about grandma's secret stash of money. If you uh, have a, a grandparent that lived during that depression era, and when all the, the markets fell, people lost all confidence in banks and in investments and so these people would cut out pieces of their sheetrock and their wall and they would stuff their money inside or they would have a floorboard that was loose right and they would they would hide the money or they put it in the mattress right and and there's stories of people uh, selling like old books that their grandparents had and inside would be like fifteen thousand dollars or people remodeling grandma's house and they find in the ceiling there was $20,000 worth of money just stashed up in the ceiling, right? They, they were storing something away. They, they had a secret stash and that's what it is like for the believer in Christ. There's this secret place, a secret source for you, right? It's, it's unseen, it's invisible, but it's the work of the spirit of God within you. I love how the psalmist put it in Psalm 23, right, the famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And he, uh, he writes in there that even though I go through the darkest valley or I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? even in adversity, in struggle, I fear no danger for you are with me your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And Get this, he writes this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. He's saying this, in the presence of Of adversity, when your life is totally like you're down at the curb of life, right? You are just on your face and you're looking out and you see the the circumstances of life staring you in the eyes. He says, In that place, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, my cup overflows. You have a secret source of joy. The third thing, God has equipped us with an inseparable connection. We see this in verses 35 through 39. I'm going to read this to us. It says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? This is what Paul did. He would ask a question, kind of rhetorical question, and then he would go on to answer it. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he answers this question, no. No. Right. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have an inseparable connection when my kids were young, when they were toddlers, um, I used to see these things around. I don't know if they've outlawed them now or if they're like bad for kids because I don't see them anymore, but it was uh, like a little backpack thing that kids would wear and they were cute, right? They'd be pink for the girls and blue for the boys and they might have like monkey details or some other kind of thing and it had like these little straps that go across and on the back there was a leash. Parents, do y'all, do y'all know what I'm talking about. You'd see mom at the shopping mall, and little Johnny's on the leash, right? Johnny gets a little too crazy, she, pop, right? She pulls Johnny back, and he, like, he comes back. You know, he gets a little too adventurous, or he wants to wander away. Mom's got Johnny on a leash. Now, if you were a child and you're, you know, in in uh, counseling right now because you're on a leash, right? I'm sorry for bringing up the pain of that. But I thought, man, that's a great idea, really. I have three boys, and I think, man, if I just had a leash on all those boys, I mean, bam, right? It, it, when I think about what Paul's writing, I think about this invisible leash. It's like, it's like you're tethered to the heart of God with cords of love. And your life, you might be over here or over there. You're kind of, you know, you're, you're all over the place emotionally or spiritually, right? You're, you're all over the place. And yet in the midst of all that, you are connected constantly with this inseparable connection to the love of God. Nothing can cut that cord. Like no, no demon could do it. No no adversity could do it. No suffering could do it. Nothing can cut the inseparable connection that you and I have to the love of God. And I love how he says it this here. He says it in verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things. What things is he talking about? Well, Affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about adversity. And here's how you conquer in adversity you pray a prayer and it all goes away immediately, right? No. It's not what he says. He says, in all these things we are more than conquerors, for I am persuaded, and then he goes through the list, nothing will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ. This is how we overcome. It is through the love of God, like the living, present love that is with you every single moment of your life. This is our victory, This is what the gospel does. The gospel takes people like you and me who have a a sin nature that, that do things that are wrong. And Jesus says, look, come, turn, think differently, follow me, and I will repair your connection to the Father. I will pay for every last and I will will hook something into you that nothing will ever be able to separate. It is the love of God. And Jesus takes us separate from the Father in our sins and he brings us back together. He does that through his death and his resurrection. He gives us an inseparable connection. So, what do we do with adversity, right, right? What's our response? Well, I have a few ideas for us this morning. The first is this. Keep it real. The oldest book of the Bible is the book of Job. You know anything about the book of Job. It's basically a guy who had everything taken away from him. It was a book of suffering. The oldest book of the Bible is a book about adversity, adversity. And, suffering. and when Job had his family removed and then all of his possessions removed and then his own health removed and the, his friends came over, right? his three friends came, came over and they say, Job, how are you? He didn't say, blessed brother, more blessed than I deserve, right? That's not what he said. What did he do? He rips his robe and he weeps. He grieves. He's honest, and I think there's this idea, and, and maybe it comes from how we're wired, or, or maybe the type of family we grew up in. But it's like we're like, what pain, what adversity, what struggle, right? When your child burns their hand, you don't like say, what burn. Why are you crying? There's no pain here, right? No, you bring them in and you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I can see that. That looks really painful, right? You're just helping them grieve. Like, that hurts. And I think there's this idea that we have that we can't be real. Like, it's not Christian. Let me tell you this. If you're denying pain in your life, that's not holiness. That's delusion, okay? You're delusional, You need to have a place where you can keep it real. The the way that we do our church family is that we meet in house churches, and this is one of the ways that we just keep it real. It's like we have time every week. We just say, man, how are you? What's going on? How can we pray for you? And it's a place for us just to say, look, hey, uh, I'm in the middle of some stuff that's really, really hard, and, and I just want you guys to pray for me. Like, I'm hurting right now. I'm in the middle of some suffering. I'm in a battle. I'm struggling. And it's a place for us to keep it real. You see, grieve, don't grumble. Grieving is acknowledging that there's pain. Grumbling is accusing God for being the source of your pain. The scriptures are clear. We're not to grumble. We're not to complain. That's not what God's called us to do. But we can be real about what's happening. So grieve. Don't grumble. The second thing is this. Let your adversity lead to intimacy. Let adversity lead to intimacy. In verse 29, we see this. um, It's kind of, uh, if you're into theology, this might, I don't know, might make you struggle. Verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. For what? Oh, well, to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, God will use pain in your life to conform you to the image of Jesus. Paul says we're filling up in our flesh the sufferings of Jesus. I've been reading a biography about a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, and this guy was legit Um, Just amazing. He was this amazing preacher, evangelist, prayer warrior, just traveled all over the world doing ministry. And when he was 44 years old, he was visiting a a church in Chicago that was pastored by A.W. Tozer. He was doing some gospel meetings and he and a friend had come from England to be at this. And in the middle of the night, there's a fire in the hotel. He's up on the third story of this hotel building in Chicago. There's a fire. He can't get down. There's smoke everywhere. He goes and knocks on the door of his his traveling companion, the 74-year-old man. He's totally unaware of what's happening. So Leonard Ravenhill lowers the man down the third story window. I don't know if he tied bedsheets together or whatever he did. Lowers the man down, and then he jumps down three stories, shatters his feet, breaks his leg in three places, and breaks his back in three places. Places, And he was in a hospital bed for the next year of his life. He uh, talks about the pastors that would come to visit him on their way to the golf course. <laughs> and they would say, God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And he would receive it and then think, man, As they're on the way to the golf course, they can quote that to me real quickly. Hey, God bless you. He's going to use this for good, right? (laughs) Not encouraging. Thank you, though. And he wasn't encouraged until A.W. Tozer brought a little Chinese man. And this man had been a survivor of a persecution during the Boxer Rebellion. And this little Chinese man grabs his hand in that hospital bed and he says to him, May the Lord sanctify to thee thy greatest afflictions. That's King James, right? May the Lord sanctify to thee thy deepest afflictions. What he was saying was this. May God turn this into intimacy. This man who was a giant of the faith, he was actually a a, a strong guy. He was a runner, right? His physical body was was pretty impressive, and he lost it. He he lost all that. He had dates to to preach these these engagements all around the globe, and he had to cancel every last one of them. This man who had this amazing prayer life could no longer pray because he was in chronic pain. Pain, And he said he would just lay on his back and he would just worship. He would worship. He he wrote about this time period in his life and he said this, I had been scheduled to preach around the world and I was lying in bed shattered physically. I realized then that I couldn't always pray too well because of too much pain. I sure couldn't go preach anywhere but I realized for the first time that I could do what God requires of us. I could worship him. Personal worship became the great reality of his life. It was a divine assignment, a gift. Get this, a gift of suffering given to him to gain the depths of fellowship with Christ. Seven years later, he would write to a friend who was undergoing suffering, and he said this. He said, please remember that God is planning for thee in love. God is never capricious, never moody, and he never experiments with us. He plans all things always in love. I want to encourage you, if you're walking through adversity, if you're going through suffering, don't grumble, but rather let God Turn that into intimacy. Learn to worship. And if Satan is the source of your adversity, make him pay. You know how you make him pay? You just go harder after Jesus, right? You love him, you serve him, you worship him, and Satan will, he will rue the day that he brought adversity into your life lastly remember you're never alone you're a kid on a leash you are tethered by cords of unfailing love you're not alone he's with you he's holding you he's planning for you with love i want to close with this story there's a man by the name of horatio spafford and uh He was from Great Britain. He was living here in America, also in Chicago. This also involves another fire. I didn't plan that out. It just sort of happened. um, Two fires in Chicago. Um, In 1871, there was a great fire of Chicago, and this man had invested most of his uh, life's uh, money, right? All of his possessions, all these things were burned in this great fire of 1871, he, uh, the year before, he and his wife had lost their son to scarlet fever. So um, in 1873, he puts his wife and his four daughters onto a ship back to England. He's going to stay and try to reinvigorate uh, his business, try to get some of his money back that he had lost in the great fire. And a few days after that ship departed, he receives a telegram and it's from his wife. And it says this, Saved alone, what shall I do? His wife's ship had been shipwrecked on the way back to England and he had lost his four daughters. So now he had lost all of his possessions. He had lost his son. He had lost all four daughters and now only he and his wife remained. And so he got on a ship And he sailed to England, and over the waters that took his four daughters, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now that story amazes me because that's a man who had a very, very different perspective. Right? He had a secret source somewhere in him that would enable him to see this differently and to say, Man, in the midst of sorrow, it is well with my soul. He was a man who understood about this inseparable connection with the love of God. And so I want to ask you as we close this morning, are you going through adversity? Maybe you've just been through it. Have you been through sorrow and suffering? God's equipping you with a different perspective, a secret source of joy, an inseparable connection. I want to encourage you to do this. Keep it real. Let adversity lead to intimacy, and remember, you are never, ever alone. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.